Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. In early October, a group led by the investment arm of the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia purchased Newcastle United, the English Premier League soccer team. Saudi Arabia's public investment funds is chaired by Saudi Arabia's de facto ruler, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The purchase, therefore, caused a great deal of speculation that it was motivated by a desire to burnish the image of the Saudi ruler. What is not speculation is that overnight, Newcastle United became the richest soccer team in the world. On the line with me to explain the significance of Saudi Arabia's purchase of Newcastle United is Alex Ward national security reporter at Politico, and anchor of the National Security Daily Newsletter. We kick off discussing the impact of this purchase for the team itself. As Alex Ward explains, success on the soccer field, the pitch, is very much central to Saudi Arabia's broader PR goals. I think you'll appreciate this conversation. It's a really interesting story at the intersection of foreign policy and sports. And I think you can get from how I phrase some of my questions that I am far more conversant in the foreign policy side of things than I am in the English Premier League or international soccer more broadly. But you can also tell that Alex Ward really knows his stuff. All right, here is my conversation with Alex Ward, reporter at Politico. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, you have to think of Newcastle United as you know, one of those teams that will, that is prestigious in the sense that it stays up uh, in the Premier League constantly. And it is, you know, one of the older teams still in play, but it is not a major team. So let me step back for a moment and say that, you know, there, there are sort of the top teams in the Premier League, which is, you know, the number one best soccer league in England. Uh, There are 20 teams right there. And then there are multiple divisions below that. If you make it in the bottom three, you get relegated to sort of, let's say, second division, which they call the championship. If you make it in the top three of that championship, you move up to the Premier League. So there's there are consequences for performing badly. Uh, I like American sports. We have consequence for it. <laughs> right. It's actually, you know, <laughs> one sort of weird sidebar is I, I always find this, this phrase uh, kind of interesting, which is that uh, European sports are capitalist and American sports are socialist. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is, um, you know, if you're an NBA fan, 
uh, or, you know, let's say a baseball fan or NFL, or NFL is even better here, right? If your team goes like, oh, and 17, uh, you get the first pick in the NFL draft, right? You get an option to get the best player available from the college rankings. Whereas in European soccer, if you suck, like you're going down, you're losing money, right? You're going to lose a lot of your best players because they're going to want to stay and play in more prestigious and competitive leagues. So it means a lot for like when it, how a team performs, right? Not only just for the fandom and pride and all that, but how you do like affects your financial situation, affects the kinds of players you can recruit, affects your advertising dollars, affects a lot. There's really no safety net. So when we're talking about Newcastle here, you're talking about a team with a rabid fan base. I mean, just a, a, a fan base that, that loves their team. They call themselves Geordies uh, <laughs> or the, the Toon Army. And they just come out and drove to their team. And what they've hated for the last many years is just a mediocre team. They've been plagued by some scandals in the past. Uh, but one team with an owner that just you know has a lot of money but didn't put enough into it, the squad to make it super competitive. They were mid-tier sort of at best, but kept that sort of aura of, ooh, this is Newcastle and prestigious. There's even a movie called Goal about a, a Mexican uh, immigrant who goes to play for Newcastle is like a big deal that he gets to go play for that team. Uh, and so when you get bought by, you know, a, a fund, a sovereign wealth fund that they say does not have any connection to the Saudi government, this is massive, mm-hmm. right? Because now you just have tons of dollars and, and tons of investment into a team, which should then attract better players, which then means uh, should mean more wins, which then means you get to play in more prestigious Global competitions, there should be more money. And, you know, for, for the area of Northern England that where Newcastle is, like, that could mean tons of economic, you know, revitalization. Hmm. Um, a massive investment, lest, lest we forget sort of how Cleveland's economy boomed after LeBron came to town and mm-hmm. uh, the NBA. So, like, th- that's what sort of this means. And that's why you're seeing Newcastle fans be so excited. Yeah, I mean, they went from being a perpetually mediocre team in the Premier League to now having like an unlimited source of of wealth, the world's richest team, as you said. And from what I gather, the fans have just been absolutely thrilled by this. Can you describe like the process by which the Saudi Sovereign Investment Fund, PIF, I believe it's called, uh, was able to secure this purchase? Yeah, it's a bit. It's not very transparent, I should say, but the best we can sort of piece together is, you know, this was in the works for about uh, since 2017. And there were the Saudis basically said, look, we want to buy Newcastle. We want a Premier League club. Uh, and I should say the Saudi fund, this this uh, investment fund. And there were concerns early on from the league, from elsewhere that, look, we're, we're not convinced that this fund has zero ties to the government of Riyadh. Uh, and of course, that you know, the, the this is uh, a regime that, that does have its human rights violations. Um, it does; it's very despotic, right? It's not exactly the kind of government you sort of want inside of your crown jewel of sport. But after after a bit, you know, it seemed that there they the uh, the Premier League was convinced or enough that you know the Saudi government wasn't going to have its tentacles into this fund. Uh, that really there's a separation between, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, uh, his family and that money. And that this really is sort of like a private venture uh, with even though it's Saudi money. 
And so they got approved. So now the Saudis are in. But of course, critics are saying like, of course, you know, Mohammed bin Salman and his coterie are going to be involved. Like, of course, this is effectively the Saudi state buying a Premier League club and in so doing, trying to sports wash, quote unquote, its -hmm. reputation in, uh, you know, around the world. So just to be clear, though, it's my understanding that the Sovereign Wealth Fund, PIF, its chairman is Mohammed bin Salman. Well, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so there is this like fiction or fig leaf of the separation that apparently satisfied the Premier League. Did like the UK Foreign Office or, or the government have to go through any process to approve this at all? So they say no. I've talked to them. I mean, it's not even the Foreign Office's decision. It's the Ministry of Sport and it has a ah. thousand different things. But they are in charge and they said no, they would have absolutely no role in this. Now, there are reports of a couple of things. There are reports of uh, British officials reaching out to the Premier League, basically going like, hey, when are you guys making this decision? Like, what's going on? Why is, the, why is there a delay? And you even had MBS text Boris Johnson saying, look, if this doesn't go through, you know, UK-Saudi relations are going to get hurt. Um, so there's very clearly... Like, like we'll buy our weapons like, elsewhere? <laughs> maybe, for example, right? Yeah. Um, and so... There's very, there was very clearly uh, some sort of government, I would say, pressure here, even if they might not have had uh, an official role. Now, I did have a British official talk to me at length about this, and this official effectively said, like, no, there's just absolutely no role for the government here. Like, if, you know, if the Premier League wanted to go and do whatever they wanted, we, they would have to happen. To which I, I admittedly asked a hypothetical. So I said, OK, say Kim Jong-un wanted to buy you know, a team like Burnley, which is a smaller team in the Premier League, uh, would the UK government be fine with that? And I never really got a clear response to that question. Hmm. Um, I find it hard to believe that the British government, if it, you know, didn't want Saudi Arabia involved, and it's like, you know, one of the great things of its soft power, the Premier League, then it, then it wouldn't have happened. And so it, even if it wasn't sort of an official authorization, I'd be surprised if there wasn't sort of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge authorization. Now, it's worth noting that Saudi Arabia's purchase of Newcastle, or I should say the Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund's purchase of of Newcastle, uh, is just one example of Gulf monarchies entering into the Premier League. Like, is it Manchester City is uh, controlled by a consortium out of Abu Dhabi and Manchester city is like one of those like top tier teams, I think. Right. And then you have uh, Paris Saint-Germain uh, owned by a Qatari uh, Qatari interests. So this is like one more of a theme, it seems. Yeah. I mean, it's an even more beyond Gulf monarchies. I mean, you do have like, you know, uh, Chelsea, another major team is owned by Roman Abramovich, a, a Russian. Oh, the Russian. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course, London is sort of known as the money laundering uh, capital of the world. Um, you also have, um, I should uh, you know, it, look, a, a team called Schalke in Germany is sponsored by Gazprom, uh, you know, right at a time when that sort of Nord Stream 2 stuff was happening. Uh, they, they started, you know, sending a lot of money that way then um, all the sort of energy pipelines. Like, it's a very common tactic for despotic regimes to put money into uh, Premier League clubs, because it does a couple of things. It makes the clubs better, right? Manchester City went from kind of a backwater to arguably the world's best team because they were just backed by this this money from Abu Dhabi. Um, Paris Saint-Germain went from a fine French team to a world powerhouse because of that Qatari money. 
uh, one could imagine that Newcastle will become a global you know, powerhouse because of this Saudi money. And the reason this matters is because if you have a top team with the world's most recognizable soccer stars, uh, that sort of reflects well upon you in the eyes of fandom uh, who don't really follow like the inner workings of, of foreign policy like you and I do. They just notice, they sort of just put together, oh, you know, <laughs> UAE, Manchester City, ergo good. Um, in fact, uh, there was an Amazon Prime show. There is, you can still watch, it's called All or Nothing. It's sort of Amazon Prime's uh, semi-annual or annual show where they follow a, a team, you know, throughout a season, kind of like Hard Knocks. Mm. And one of them is Manchester City. And throughout that, um, you know, throughout that entire show, you get to see like how the coach operates, how he interacts with his UAE counterparts. Uh, the, the chairman who's, uh, you know, from, from the Emirates gets a lot of camera time to explain sort of what their designs are. And if you're watching that as a fan or even just as someone who enjoys sort of the soccer world, you go, oh, you know, reasonable. Like all this makes sense. Look at the great transformation they've done. Look at all the money they've invested in this community. And that helps, right? When it comes to when you're trying to set up yourself, set up an image for yourself around the world that isn't just, you know, we are a, a brutal monarchy. So, so what do you see as like the near-term implications for Saudi Arabia uh, for this purchase? Well, I, I, some, it actually might not mean a lot unless Newcastle starts winning, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least they start investing tons of money into Northern England. Like if, you, if I'm the Boris Johnson government, I'm worried that Saudi Arabia is going to start just pouring tons of money into my economy, revitalizing a, a you know, sort of a forgotten area of the country. And it's going to be really hard for me then down the line to criticize Saudi foreign policy if and when I want to. Uh, uh, because you're going to have a large you know, majority of, or you have a, a part of the electorate that's like, no, we like the Saudis. They're great. Without them, you know, this part of England doesn't run. Uh, and so that could be sort of a short-term political win for them. Um, but of course, for them to sort of get that global cachet that I think they're looking for, Newcastle needs to attract the best players and they need to start winning. Um, and that is actually something that has somewhat escaped Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain. They, they win their leagues and that matters domestically. But And of course, it does have an international effect. Don't get me wrong. Manchester City winning the Premier League and PSG winning in Ligue 1 uh, matters quite a bit. But sort of the, the big thing they're all going for is the Champions League. And that's when the best teams in Europe play an annual tournament. Like basically the best teams in England, Spain, France, Italy, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, play in this sort of global year-long tournament. And the winner of that's effectively the best club team in the world. Uh, Manchester City and PSG have yet to win that. Hmm. Or at least within these iterations of, um, you know, these new owners and like, that's the next thing they want. And if you're, and if you're Saudi Arabia, you're not just thinking, I want to win the premier league. I want to win the champions league. And now you're trying to put your dollars up against the Emirati and Qatari dollars when it comes to that sort of globally. So it's not even just split by premier league, French league, et cetera. There is also this fight uh, in the grander champions league in which all of these monies will be (laughs) competing against each other. So, I mean, could you foresee um, something like this being replicated in the United States where, say, you know, a sovereign wealth fund operated by a rich country seeks to purchase an American sports team? I, uh, you know, I can't, uh, I'm not an expert on sort of buying in the United States, uh, team buying. But what I would assume is if like, and I don't know what the rules are for the leagues, every league has their own sort of 
rules. Mm-hmm. Like the Premier League has their owners test where they like they sort of do these reviews to make sure that who they're bringing into the tent isn't a murderer uh, or a criminal of some sort. But if like, if the opportunity presents itself, I would be shocked if you know certain countries didn't want to buy um, into these leagues. Like if you're a Russian oligarch, you may want, uh, and you're not sanctioned by the U.S., you may want to try to buy you know the Cleveland Indians. Uh, if you are a, an Emirati monarch, you may want to try to um, you know buy the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, whatever it may be, to try to just kind of uh, you know build up that area, get some cachet, you know, be in pretty prominent political areas. Like I, I am, I'm mentioning Ohio and Florida here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, that could happen. Uh, I don't. Again, I don't know the rules exactly. Uh, but I would assume like if that opportunity presents itself, if that is even a viable option, I would be shocked if no one tried to jump on it because it's good for you. It allows you to, to push your own agendas. It allows you to, uh, you know, improve your image worldwide. Um, and like, let's not discount the fact that you do do some good, right? When you are investing in these areas as heavily as these, um, as these funds in these countries are, you are providing economic benefits to those regions. Lastly, it seems to me, uh, based on, on, on sort of what you're saying, that really like the test of whether or not this will improve Saudi's image and Saudi's soft power in the UK, in Europe, around the world will really be like, you know, met on, on the pitch, as it were, that, you know, if Newcastle starts winning, uh, if they acquire good players, that's when they can like accumulate that, that soft power. So I, I suppose it seems that's really like the inflection point, right? Is that what you're looking for? If they can start winning, then this bet will have paid off to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, the first test will be like who the first big name they bring in is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like which of the world stars wants to take their talents to Northern England and wants to sort of be the figurehead for this new revolution. Um, you, you know, for Manchester City, even though they got the money, it took some time until they could sort of find the, their first player who sort of validated the project. He was a Brazilian named Robinho. And uh, he went over uh, and he was a major player at the time, you know, Brazilian national team player. Um, not some, not one of the best, you know, to ever do it, but very, very, very good and capable and definitely above the skill level that would have been, you know, coming to Manchester City before the, the takeover. Uh, and the same thing you saw at Paris Saint-Germain that, you know, they always had some decent players, but now they are acquiring world-class talent and global names like Neymar. Uh, and they bought Kylian Mbappe, who's, you know, arguably the, the best young player in the world. And so with Newcastle, you know, you're looking for that future player. Um, you're looking for that next person um, that can sort of validate it. So first, let's look at who the, who the main player is going to be. Second, let's see if they start doing better in the Premier League. There are tons of great teams in that league. Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, uh, you know, Tottenham, uh, Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, Leicester. Uh, these teams are quite good, and so it's really hard to break in. So, you know, getting the right players, doing well in the Premier League matters. And then after that, can they find success on the world stage? This will be, you know, not fast. I would assume this will to be about like a 10-year project. Um, before you start seeing really any sort of return on investment that the Saudis would be hoping for. Uh, but that could still happen. Like 10 years from now, we could be having this conversation and, and sort of laughing at the idea that Newcastle was once a backwater and now they're one of the best teams in the world. And if you're the Saudis, that's exactly what you're dreaming of. You're looking sort of in a way for the masterstroke the South Koreans pulled off with K-pop. It became this global sensation. 
right? It wouldn't have mattered <laughs> if, it, if it didn't. Um, now the Saudis are going to want Newcastle to be a global sensation, and that's what we're all going to be looking for. Oh, well, Alex, thank you so much. Totally fascinating. I you know, knew very little uh, about the Premier League going into this. I know a lot more now. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Alex Ward of Politico. That was great. I learned a lot about the Premier League for sure. As always, you can get in touch with me with suggestions of people you'd like me to interview or topics you'd like me to cover. This episode came about from a conversation on Twitter. Love when that happens. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.